Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, we have several children gone today. We have uh, Wana Camp has started this week, and uh, Pioneer Club Camp is their last week of camp. We also have uh, our Dallas Clamp and uh, Karis Clamp, our, our original group, are on retreats this weekend. So we do have some people gone, but uh, we pray for them and as they return this weekend. As I was writing out the announcements this week, I was uh, tempted to write that our guest speaker today, Matt Amundsen, who's the executive director of the Grace Gospel Fellowship, grew up at Berean. But then he didn't actually grow up in Berean. Uh, he actually grew up in Bellevue. But he spent a good part of his life at Berean because uh, he's part of our church family. And uh, so I'm going to invite Matt up at this time. And it wasn't that many years ago, Matt was walking down that hallway with the kids. And uh, so he's part of our church family. And we are so uh, happy to have him here today. He's executive director of the Grace Gospel Fellowship that we, our church is a part of with churches around the country. We share together in the ministry. And uh, Matt's here on vacation, but he was willing to come and speak to us today. So Matt, Lord bless you. It's good to have you. It's the first time you preached here, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember when you and four of your friends were up here and did a Christian rap back in the, about 1990. That was the first and last time we did a Christian rap here at Brian. But uh, <laughs> that was probably on a Sunday night too. I... No, it wasn't. <laughs> That's what we haven't done anymore. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you that Brother Mac will be with us today. We thank you for his willingness to heed your call to take on this important ministry. And we ask your blessing on him as he opens your word to us and shares with us today. We thank you so much. We love you. And we give this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. That rap must have been really bad because I don't remember it at all. Um, and I have a pretty good memory like my sister. Uh, so I may not remember every meal I've had for the last uh, 40 years. Uh, but I but I have a pretty good memory. So I, I must have blocked that one out. There's a lot of other things. Pastor Kevin actually told me, please don't tell that story. Let's not go back to that story. So it's really limited. You know, it's probably a five-minute sermon today. Um, but I do think it's amazing that Pastor Jim has me up here because I can remember being a student at Grace Bible College. And who wouldn't want a visit from their pastor? Well, this guy, actually, because I had slept in and decided to skip church one Sunday morning. And I hear a knock on my dorm room door. And I thought it was one of my friends, but... Uh, it was definitely one of my friends, uh, but to see Jim at that door, uh, that was that was uh, mortifying, to use a good teen word from back in the day, uh, but I'm, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning. I could tell a lot of stories, but I really want to challenge you this morning, and challenge you from kind of what the emphasis is for the Grace Gospel Fellowship, but I want to challenge you personally as somebody who grew up in this church, spent a lot of time here at Berean. Uh, so for some of you, I just want to introduce myself, uh, because some of you know me and you have plenty of stories, and we're going to talk about legacy and heritage today, and you may have a certain, I may have a certain reputation. You may say, I can remember when Matt did this, and he was running through the hallways as a 13-year-old, or whatever it might be, and sometimes we hold on to those old, uh, those reputations. We hold on to how we viewed people 20 years ago. Uh, it was, in fact, almost 25 years ago that I graduated high school and went back to Grace Bible College because of the leadership of 
my youth pastors, Dan Dean, Tom Drenth, who said, you have certain uh, giftedness and skills in areas like youth ministry. And so encouraged me from that age of 12 on to pursue youth ministry. And to do that, I went to Grace Bible College, where I met my wife, Sharon. And we have, uh, we've been married for 21 years, just celebrated that a couple months ago. So we're excited about that. And we have three kids. So we have Jeremiah, who's 15, uh, Levi, who's 13, and then Kamea is eight. We have a lot of diversity in our family, a Mexican background, Pacific uh, Islander, and Ethiopian. And so we love that diversity that we have in our family, and we have that in our community in Holland. Holland has uh, long had a reputation or known to be a Dutch community. And yet if you walk into Holland, it's completely, maybe one of the most diverse places I've seen with all cultures. And so we love that aspect and that diversity. Uh, I grew up in Bellevue, attended and flourished this church, in this church. Um, and I think one of the reasons that that was the case is because Berean has always uh, emphasized youth and development of youth. It doesn't mean that they ignore the adults, but they have taken those youth on and said, you know what, we, we see something in you, and we want to develop and equip and send you out. You think about all the different, and I go on a li- long list of people that are in different aspects of ministry in the local church, missionaries, uh, lay leaders in local churches as well. And because of the time and the energy invested, not just the pastoral staff, not just Pastor Jim, Pastor Gary, Pastor Kevin, uh, back, you know, Pastor Schutz, uh, Pastor Tom and Dan, but extensive lay leaders. And I think in my life, men that came up to me and invested in my life. And I hope you've had that experience here at Berean, whether that's having been here six months or 60 years. Uh, in ministry, I served as a youth pastor for 17 years uh, until accepting the role of executive director a little over a year ago. I was served in Edomclaw, uh, Washington at Northwest Bible Church, and then also uh, at Parkside Bible Church in Holland. So we've had 17 years of youth ministry and uh, I love youth ministry, but I tell you what, those, those all-nighters, uh, back when I was starting ministry, I thought that was a smart idea. Uh, that's not as smart as you get later, get older, and you get, you can't deal with less sleep, and, you know, you just get older. Uh, you can't deal with it. Uh, so we're, we're excited about what this means for our family, being in the GGF, uh, and having learned from Frosty Hansen and working alongside of Frosty for many years. Uh, it's been a pleasure to learn from him. And I hope that I can take uh, what I've learned and carry that on along with a great team of leaders. Uh, within our fellowship of churches, it is widely known that Berean has a rich heritage, a rich legacy. It's widely known for cultivating and equipping and sending young men and women into leadership roles. You may not agree with all the decisions that the leaders make here, whether at the pastoral, uh, senior pastor level or the youth pastor level, but you have to agree that there's a consensus that youth ministry and the development of our next leaders is key. I want you to take a moment and I want you to reflect. What do you want to be said of you? In a sense, what do you want your legacy to be? 
Will you be known for always being right in an argument? Having a strong work ethic? Maybe your faith in Christ. Maybe you'll be known for your political opinions. That's white hot right now. Will you be known for your generosity? Your love for God and and for others? Sometimes these questions can be difficult to answer. So would this be any easier or harder to say, what would you want to be known for as a church? In Shoreline and Edmonds and, and Linwood, Mount Lake Terrace, and all surrounding areas, what do you want the community to say about you as a church? Do they perceive you as loving and caring? Do they perceive you as rigid and judgmental? Have you thought to ask the question? Sometimes we ask ourselves, it's really easy to ask within the church, what do you think? What do you think? Walk down the street. What do you think? We had a church in Chicago, Illinois, uh, Hilltop Bible Church, been, uh, had a rich heritage uh, in the grace movement and mid-Acts dispensational theology and all that and, and an impact in the community. But they had gone without a pastor for about seven years and just uh, about a year ago closed their doors. So we went around, we asked, what the community, what can you tell us about Hilltop Bible Church? And people did not know it even existed. So you may think, and you're on a prominent location, right here on the corner, you may think, well, everybody knows about Berean, even if they can't pronounce the name. But if the church closed its doors tomorrow, and obviously it's not, you guys have a a great uh, building project coming up, it's exciting, but if it were to close the doors tomorrow, would the community notice? If they noticed, what would they miss? Would they care? There are difficult but necessary questions that we need to ask. A lot of times in church we can just go through the motions and year after year doing the same things, not asking those questions. What does the community think about us? What's our reputation? Some of it might be warranted, some of it might not be. Uh, In the last year I have traveled to Puerto Rico twice uh, just to check on the churches after Hurricane Maria blew through. And I do want to say that uh, uh, for Craig Cheney that that slide is still standing. I know that he put a lot of engineering work into that. And for those that helped build that, that was, that was one of those structures that stayed put. Um, <laughs> now those, those things are exciting. I've been in, in Costa Rica where we worked on putting up a wall uh, and then... Uh, six months later, the wind took it out, and the whole wall, and you know, many multiple teams, blew it, you know, put a lot of work into that. So, uh, can't take those things for granted. But that's exciting. Uh, what's going on in Puerto Rico? Uh, Pastor Miguel Ortiz, or he's known. It's interesting. In in Puerto Rico, he's known as Michael, uh, but we we call him Miguel for some reason. But he's the pastor at Juan Diaz Bible Church, and he's excited to share how they have reached out into their community, and provided blankets. They're a church that's been hard hit by the hurricanes. Their families have been hard hit, and yet they said, you know what, we need to come together for a neighboring town. 
And so they collected blankets, other supplies, and on Saturdays they would go up and they would just pass them out. And they'd have long lines of people coming to get those blankets. That's building that reputation. That's building that legacy, that heritage. If you could turn in your Bibles with me uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And while you're going there, I did want to pass on that Pastor Miguel wanted to thank Berean amongst all the other churches that came together. Uh, after the hurricane, we had about 25 GGF churches and 30 additional individuals come together to raise $40,000 to go towards Puerto Rico, which is awesome. And that was all in just a matter of a few weeks. Uh, and they were able to use that at camp, able to use that at church. Uh, if you're familiar with San Herman Ministries and Joe Sarah, it was able to help him a little further up the country. And so we're grateful for how people come together to help out. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to highlight a couple verses within it, but let's just read Second Corinthians 8. I'll be reading from the ESV. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I think about verse 2. Even though the churches in Macedonia were struggling and facing their own challenges, they gave abundantly. They faced poverty and yet found a way to give to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, a very far off place. Sometimes it's, it's pretty easy for us to think about giving to something local, something that we know that we're familiar with, but to give to somebody, especially at that point in history, that far away, that was not really heard of. Now we give, and I know Berean has a rich heritage in giving and supporting missions, and to be able to send to Africa, South America, Central America, is almost commonplace. The support is tremendous. But back then, that wasn't so commonplace. And they were poor. They were struggling with their own afflictions, and yet somehow they said, this is important. Many of our churches, and I'll say GGF churches, because I'm not going to just paint a rosy picture like everything's great and everything's perfect, and uh, that's not the case. Many of our churches have become inward-focused, consumed by shortfalls within their budget, uh, or simply concerned about their own congregation's well-being, or maybe worse yet, lacking a heart for those outside the four walls whether they are across the seas or across the street. Verse 5, it's, and here's the key. 
they gave first to the Lord and then to others. So many times we, we switch those around and we focus on the, other, the needs of others before God. Not that he needs, but we tend to think about, you know what, I can help that guy on the street corner or I can help my neighbor do this. And it's tangible. It's something that we can see, we can feel. It's great when we give our hearts and time and resources to both. But it is clear, as Paul shares with the church in Corinth, that it is to be to God first. So think, of, think about that when you give. Whether you think about it in the realm of finances or your time, your energy, your thoughts, to the Lord first, others second. Paul shares that our love for others cannot have borders. It must not be limited to your close friends, to my close friends, or those you are comfortable with. It is important that this love be expressed to others in Shoreline, others in Edmonds and Seattle, along with others around the world. Um, I'm reminded of a good friend that I have gotten to know. I was one of his, I guess, Sunday school or children's church teachers, and that is uh, Pastor Josh Herman. Uh, many of you know uh, Josh, and he is part of a, a cooperative between the Grace Gospel Fellowship and the Northwest region of seven churches that have come alongside of Josh to plant a church in Vancouver, Portland area. Well, he's doing really well. Is he doing perfectly? No. And some people would say, well, is he the, is he the perfect guy for, you know, is he that guy, is he that typical church planter? No. Josh is very open and honest. And if you know him well enough, you might say maybe he's too open and too honest. But I love his transparency. He'll call me up and we'll talk from time to time just about the nitty gritty. Not necessarily about programs and how to do church planting, but life and the struggles of being on his own in the Vancouver area. Grateful for the support of his church, the region, and the GGF. But he had a visit from a church planter friend uh, that he knew from college that is a church planter in Tacoma. And uh, the guy came down, and Josh thought, you know, this is a great time. We're going to play some uh, board games. We're going to play some video games. You know, Josh is kind of an active gamer of all, of all kinds. And this guy said, no, we're going to go on a prayer walk. And they walked around his apartment complex simply praying for the community. And it opened a door to help somebody move furniture in. Josh is like, I didn't sign up for this. What's this all about? He was uncomfortable with it, as many of us would be. It's easy for us to look from afar and say, you're not on fire. You're not out there willing to do whatever it takes. It's normal life. You have fears, right? You have things that you're not as comfortable with. And Josh has those as well. So this guy took him out on a prayer walk. And they went around. They got back to the apartment. And the guy said, let's go again. So they went on a second walk. They had lunch. And they went on a third walk. By that time, Josh is like, I'm not sure I want this friend to stick around. Uh, so the friend did leave. Josh got up about four in the morning. He said it was just heavy on his heart. It just it, it hit him like a load of bricks. Just the importance 
of caring for the community and having the heart of Christ for the community. But he's open and honest about it, saying, this isn't my wheelhouse. This isn't This doesn't come easy for me. And so for you, it might be something totally different. Maybe you're an evangelist at heart, and getting out there and just starting to talk to people is easy. Sometimes people think and look at things and say, if I'm not willing, you know, it's, they say, well, this didn't work out. We've had some church plants that didn't work out. So one of the guys told me, he's like, I just feel like a failure. And I said, you moved yourself and your family hours away from your home, gave up the comforts of everything you have to follow the Lord's lead and plant this church. To me, that's success. We could look at it and be critical and say, look, it didn't happen. So obviously it wasn't God's will. I love Josh's willingness to be vulnerable. It would be far more dangerous if he called me up and said, hey, everything's great. I don't need your help. I'm just happy and I can't stand how happy I am. That wouldn't be real. Every single one of us knows that to be true in our own lives. How important it is to be vulnerable, to show weakness, and yet the desire to follow God's lead. What will be the legacy of the church in Vancouver? Uh, Future issues are obviously difficult to predict, but if uh, Josh's recent experiences um, are an indicator, his church will be passionate about the gospel and loving God, and as an outcome of this, loving people. Having a legacy of partnership with the, you know, for the GGF, that's very much at the center of God's heart. Uh, with local churches, with other organizations in our fellowship. Um, turn with me to Psalm 133. We did a, a joint event uh, when I was at Parkside Bible Church with Grace Bible Fellowship. And the pastor there, uh, I'm sure is going to be familiar to many of you, Pastor Caleb Beefus. And he and I worked together to, to bring our churches together for a barbecue. And uh, it was a great time of fellowship. A lot of things happened that we didn't expect, but it was just, it was sweet fellowship that we had together. A little awkward at first because people are just trying to, you know, get to know each other. But this is the passage that Pastor Caleb and I landed on. Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. David gives us a a descriptive picture that I think all of us could imagine, that this oil that came down on Aaron was not just a little bit, not just a few drops here and there, almost like he was immersed in this oil, that it dripped down through that long hair. I can imagine, you know, with such long hair that I have, uh, that slides down really easy. But if you have a lot of hair, that take a lot to come down and onto the robe. But just how sweet that is when we can be in unity 
as a fellowship, whether that's right here at Berean, whether that's in fellowship across the street with the church there, whether it's with fellow GGF churches, I think it's a beautiful picture. And for those that are creative and maybe artistic, I would encourage you this week to draw Psalm 133. Uh, we were with, uh, so my son Jeremiah and his uh, cousins did a lot of drawing. We were over at Lake Chelan at, uh, at Wapato Point. And I would just challenge them as I would challenge you. Take a psalm like this and allow for creative liberty. Just draw what this looks like. Sometimes we can just treat this as just text. But it really does come to life and give us a vivid picture. Sometimes when we think about building a reputation, a legacy, our heritage, we think about the things that we do. But just as much a part of that is our lack of action. Uh, there are a lot of many exciting aspects going on in the GGF, but there's a lot of really discouraging things happening. Taking our eyes off of young families and youth. Taking our eyes off of truth. That's happening across the board in churches across America. There's stories of churches that were once vibrant that are now seemingly dead. It is our desire not only to church plant, but to revitalize these churches. To see the gospel of God's grace active, not just preached, but it's taken out by word and by action. Maybe the leadership in some of those churches have gone through a, a bunch of what-ifs. And what if we make the wrong decision? What if people don't like the direction? What if we fail and they become paralyzed by that what if? On a personal note, and I, I have shared this story a, a handful of times, um, like I said, I'm not going to get up and just share positives. Sometimes there are very difficult things in life. And we'd like to think that We've just had a bunch of impact on people's lives. And sometimes that impact can be negative. So I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, it's, it's not a very light story. I can remember the night like it was yesterday. This is when we were at Northwest Bible Church in Edomclaw. It was dreary and rainy. Certainly a common weather pattern in western Washington. I got a call from Blake. Blake is a former youth group member at Northwest. We were very close with him as a family. Later on in his years in youth group, his family moved away from Enumclaw to Spanaway. And he started to get involved in you know, some, just some negative you know, drugs, a little bit of gang uh, activity. He began to struggle with drug addiction, with, starting with marijuana ending up with meth. After a time, he moved back to Enumclaw, wanted to be closer to his friends, but he never really found a home. Uh, his parents still lived in Spanaway. He'd go from home to home, sleeping on couches, wherever he could find a spot. 
and eventually he wore out his welcome. Not everybody wants an, an extra mouth to feed and, and all those different things that come with some of his decisions. He called me from a payphone, and for the younger generation, you may have to turn around and ask somebody what a payphone is. Uh, haven't seen one in a while. It's a real novelty. But he called from a payphone at Enumclaw Middle School. Like I said, it was raining. It was kind of foggy. It was a dreary night, not very warm. He was hungry, he was cold, and he needed help. Like I said, he had bounced around from home to home. At the time, uh, Sharon and I were doing uh, foster care in, uh, through the state of Washington, and we just knew that having him come into our home was not a possibility. As much as we love Blake, We took, I picked up Blake at the middle school and I took him to Safeway. We sat there in the parking lot probably for about maybe 45 minutes and talked. He shared his heart and we had some food. I knew in that moment that the Lord was saying, say something, do something. The Lord wasn't saying, you know, specifically, okay, here's your plan. I'm going to lay it out for you. You need to go do it. But he was saying, do it. And I sat there like a coward. And I just kind of told him all the Christianese I could remember. You know, God's in control and God's got this and God's got a plan. And those things are all true. But I knew what I needed to do. That I needed to take him and get him the help that he needs. And get him out of this life of addiction. But I didn't do it. I took him back to the middle school and dropped him off. It was an awkward evening, awkward couple weeks, couple months, until I got word that Blake had been in a tragic accident in Yakima, in which he had been high on meth, led police on a high-speed chase, and ended up killing Two young men. Blake went through a long trial, sentenced to 34 years in prison, no opportunity for parole, families' lives shattered, they lose these two young sons, Blake's family in shambles. So he sits in the Walla Walla State Penitentiary and he's there for another 22 years. There's an opportunity, some legislation that may came, come up that may reduce that. But I'll tell you what, I lived with the guilt of that for years. And I still cringe when I think about it. Because I look back and I say, why didn't I say something? Why didn't I do something? I was too afraid. I'm like, what if he rejects what I say? Now I look at it and say, who cares what he says? Just do it. And if anything, it's encouraged me in different situations in youth ministry and in pastoral ministry and in the current job to, to not put up with it and to say, this is what needs to happen. 
Last night was, um, we had dinner with Blake's family. Uh, his mom and, and dad came uh, up to Bellevue, and along with his daughter, who was born around the time of, of all this going on, just before. I could see him in her face. And his mom just, you know, every time I talk to her, I know she feels a certain amount of guilt. She always wonders, what could I have done differently? And she reminds me, like, he made these choices. Don't beat yourself up. That's so true. We can easily do that. We just need to remember that God has forgiven us as believers. He doesn't want us to carry that burden. But he does want us to respond. He does want us to listen. Are there things in your life that you know God has been saying, do this? We get so wrapped up in don't do this, don't start this happen, don't do that. Maybe we need to start thinking, I need to do this. I'm guaranteeing there's a handful, if not more, people that know, right here, that know they need to say something. They need to do something. But are paralyzed by the what ifs. Just as I was. I want you to turn with me to James 4. 17, James 4, 17. A lot of times we don't think of um, the sins of omission as sins at all. It's like, well, I didn't do that. At least I'm not doing what they're doing over there. James 4, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, for her, it is a sin. So for me, not saying something was a sin. Not just because it had a really bad outcome, but because I didn't respond to the Lord's leading and say, I'm going to do that. I was too fearful. I was too selfish. What about for you? What has God laid on your heart? Maybe even this morning. I know we come in through those doors and we smile and everything is just fine. We may have had a fight just right before that or the kids are getting under our skin. Been there, done that. Maybe we're getting under theirs. What is God saying to you this morning? What has God said to you in the past, last week? Someone's life likely depends on it. I didn't think that when I was in that Safeway parking lot that I thought I'd have another opportunity. I thought for sure. I'm going to talk to him in a few weeks. We'll be fine. I didn't have that. We can think and we can say, ah, this is something I'll pass on for next week. Take the opportunity today to speak truth, to live truth into somebody's life. As a church, what has God laid on the heart of its leaders? Pastor Jim, the staff, but also the board and other leaders. What do you need to do or say now or tomorrow 
that really can't wait another week. Maybe someone's life depends on it. Maybe it takes uh, taking steps into the community, simply walking through the community and praying for each house, each household, the church, the community center, the tattoo parlor, I don't whatever it might be. Praying for your community by name. Not just when you're in this building. Walk down the street. Meet your neighbors. Maybe you can help them and move furniture, just like Josh did. Invite them in. Not just into church, but into your life. So that they can hear and see about your love for Jesus Christ who loved you first. You know, I share all this to encourage. Encouraging you to pray, to think about your legacy for yourself and for your church. But above all, for the Lord. Not only what will people say about you and your church, but what will they say about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Is it the gospel that's really offensive? People don't like to admit or think that there's sin in this world. I get it. Is it possible that they're more offended by the lack of passion in the local church? Just something to think about. Think about that oil that was coming down on Aaron's beard. Just the volume of it. Does that describe your life and your commitment to the Lord? Because of your deep, rich love for Him and for His people, this community needs you. It doesn't need you to just sit here. It needs you to go out. And I know there's things, there's programs. You guys are getting out there. I, I've heard. Keep doing those things. But every single one of us needs to do our part. It is so easy. And I hear this from all churches across the country. They're so wrapped up in being right and wrong on politics. Sometimes I think we've mixed politics and faith and they've just become this one piece can't tell which is which anymore. And maybe there's some that bleeds. I understand that. But let's be known and let's have a legacy for being Christ followers, for loving God and loving people. And I know that sounds generic. You might hear that on uh, Star 105.3 or whatever. Okay? But it is true. We've got to stop fighting. We've got to stop bickering We've got to get out. We've got to love. We do not have time to wait another week. So if today you know you need to say something out of love, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. I certainly wish I had. But you know what? The reality is God is in control of all of it. And amazing blessings have come out of the ashes. 
in Blake's life. I would ask you to pray for Blake this morning. Blake is just kind of starting to get into Buddhism. And um, that's a hard thing for me. Uh, I just wish I could be there. I wish it was more accessible. But I just ask that you would pray for Blake today. Pray for that person in your life that needs to hear truth. May your legacy be rich because you poured yourself out. That you had such a deep and rich love above all for Jesus Christ, but also for others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, and it is a privilege to be here, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd be continuing to speak into our hearts. I pray that we would do something with that today. Not assume somebody else is going to do it. Not wait for the perfect moment, but to say, speak truth, live truth, and the love of Jesus Christ. May you receive the glory in everything. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Matt, for sharing today and sharing your heart. If you'd like information about the Grace Gospel Fellowship webpage, is ggfusa.org. And there's information on there about our ministries, uh, links to our different churches. If you're traveling around the country, we have some uh, periodicals and different things you can access there. So uh, please be sure and do that. And be sure you greet somebody today that you don't know. All right? If you come in today and you see someone you don't know, say hello to them. Introduce yourself. And if they say, oh, I've been here six weeks, they say, oh, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to meet you. Say it again. Introduce each other. It's good to be here. And I'm going to have a word of prayer. And then I'm going to ask Matt to come out with me in the back. And if you'd like to greet Matt and also any more information about GGF, please uh, be sure to do that. Lord bless you for coming today. You could be anywhere else today. You've chosen to come and worship. And God bless you. Your presence here is a ministry to others. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the encouragement from your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that we will be those people who will respond. That you nudge us, the Holy Spirit. We've been learning verses about the Holy Spirit recently. And Lord, as the Holy Spirit alive in our hearts, alive in our church, as we are nudged, as we are prompted, may we respond. May we leave the results with you, and may we respond to your mercy and grace. And Father, we thank you for each person that's come today. We pray your blessing on them. We leave this place today, Lord. We go in the mission field in our community. May we be examples of the love, grace, and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We gather today in his precious and wonderful day, name, And we leave rejoicing in the hope of mercy, grace, resurrection, salvation, and eternal life, love, joy, and peace. In Christ's name, all God's people will stay together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Come and join us again next Sunday. Man, come on out.